Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. My name is Carl Soro, your humble host, and we got a packed show for you. We got Charles Conwell, who is fighting on the Alexander Usyk versus Chas Witherspoon undercard tomorrow in Chicago. The interview that I recorded with Charles Conwell took place before the change in the main event. We will certainly get into it much later today when we break down the entire card. Got lots to talk about this Canelo Alvarez conference call that he had very recently. And he spoke about Demetrius Andre. He got some pretty interesting comments to say about the WBO champion. But perhaps the biggest news, and, and it's very, very tragic news, well, not as tragic as it could be, but still pretty sad news, is the real bad accident that unified welterweight champion Errol Spence Jr. had on Thursday morning in Dallas. We'll get into all of that in just a second, but before we do, like you to hit subscribe to our Fightful Boxing and MMA YouTube channel if you're listening on YouTube and head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Got lots of great stuff covering all three sports. It's been a very, very busy past few weeks. We got on the pro wrestling side, you got NXT and AEW doing you know, going head-to-head in the Wednesday Night Wrestling Wars on MMA. We got, you know, Israel Adesanya having that tremendous performance against Robert Whittaker not too long ago. And you got, obviously, you know, a bunch of really big UFC shows to close out the year. And on the boxing side, we're just starting the last three months of 2019, an excellent last three months of 2019, at least on paper, following two tremendous fights. Uh, this pa- these past couple of weekends, you got Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter, Gennady Golovkin versus Sergei Derevianchenko. But now, speaking of Mr. Spence, so in case none any of you are not fully caught up or are not aware of the news that I'm about to discuss, I'm going to do a really quick uh, rundown of what happened. So... Very early Thursday morning, around like 3 a.m., if I'm not mistaken, somewhere between 1 and 3 a.m. local time in Dallas. Errol Spence was coming, was speeding real, real bad, uh, real fast, and the car just kind of flipped. It's the, the, the report says, you know, the vehicle went over a center median and flipped multiple times, and it actually ejected Errol Spence, who wasn't wearing a seatbelt at the time of the accident. And there's video of it, uh, uh, at least of the car flipping over multiple times on social media. You can find that pretty easily. And boy, that is, it is real scary. It's, it's a really horrible video, especially seeing someone as, you know, someone with as bright a future as Errol Spence Jr. And the miracle, and I will say this is a miracle. So, from the looks of things, Errol Spence, according to this report, uh, to this PBC uh, announcement, or at least statement, regarding his condition, it said he did not sustain any broken bones 
or fractures, but did suffer some facial lacerations and is expected to make a full recovery with none of the injuries being life-threatening. Um, as of right now, as of, uh, as of this recording, I, he, I believe he is still in ICU, intensive care unit, but the fact that he didn't suffer any broken bones or fractures, uh, it's... It's unbelievable. Like, you see, you know, you see NASCAR wrecks, and they are pretty bad when they get really, really bad. But what you saw, that like, that was, like, a car flipping over at such a high speed, flipping over so many times, and you come out of there with no broken bones or fractures, that is a miracle, I gotta tell you. It is an absolute miracle that he is... That he look that he appears to be on his way to making a full recovery, and you look at you know boxing has kind of come together and on social media trying to wish you know Sean the best. You know he you know you got guys from Sean Porter who spent just B not too long ago to to unify the IBF and WBC welterweight titles. You got WBA champion Manny Pacquiao, Lou DiBella. He said that you know he's in better shape than you know some people would expect. You know even Top Rank and, and Deontay Wilder, they're they're all rooting for. They're all you know sending their best wishes. Keith Thurman, lots of people are sending best wishes and prayers. And thoughts towards Spence as he now faces this uphill battle towards a full recovery. I don't know the extent of of his damage. Obviously, we know that he's got some facial lacerations. He's got some. He didn't suffer any broken bones or any fractures, at least from what PBC has told us. It's it is a miracle, and and you know, I don't know what the timetable is. For his recovery, it's very, it's very premature to really kind of get into it when it comes to, his, you know, when he's going to be back in the ring. I mean, look, it's, I, I did, when I first heard about this, this piece of news of Errol Spence suffering the, this car accident, I, my mind, and, and I'm sure a lot of people's minds immediately went to a few years back when Paul Williams also had, you know, had a, it wasn't a car accident, I think it was a motorcycle accident, uh, and it, he and left him paralyzed from the waist down, and it was, it's very, very sad, it's uh, unbelievable that he, that he didn't have any worse, any injuries worse than, than he did in the in the accident just a couple of days ago. Yesterday, actually, not a couple of days ago. Yesterday for Spence, it's it, it's a scary. I mean, it kind of it's one of those things where it kind of makes you take a hard good look at life, and just it's a constant reminder. You know, you could be on top one day, and all of a sudden, you know, everything could change. It's, you know, and I'm happy. I'm happy to see Errol Spence, you know, doing well. Uh, you know, he's on his way to a full recovery from what it seems. I don't know when he's going to come back in the ring. That's really not the focus right now. There was plans of him fighting Danny Garcia, in, you know, in January as his first title defense as the unified IBF and WBC champion. But let's be honest. I mean, you, you suffer an accident like this. There is no way you're coming back in three months. There is no way you're going to be coming back in a little more than three months. It's it's way too much to ask of him, and you know I I don't expect Errol Spence to be in to be in a in the ring for a very long time. Not not necessarily like not until 2021, but you know that there is there's the focus right now is making sure he's. 100% both physically and mentally and emotionally there is you know I, I that that really is the important part a lot of people focus on the physical part but you, you can I gotta imagine like what something like this can do to a person's psyche it's it's it can get pretty scary you know it, it you know it can make you start doubting a lot of stuff it makes you a little more cautious something's a little bit too cautious it, it does Accidents like that and incidents like those that he just had, 
can really affect someone's viewpoint on life. It really can. So I don't know when he's gonna come back, but my thought, you know, my thoughts are with Spence and those closest to him, and I'm sure everyone in boxing will agree when I say we wish him a full recovery, a fast recovery, and you know, you know, it'd be great to see him back in the ring. But the important thing is his health first and foremost. That's the most important thing. He's already made an abundant amount of money, so you know, it's not like he has to fight to you know just to make a living he's he's gotten plenty of money so his focus should be on his recovery and not needing to go back into the ring as soon as possible and on a different note when it comes to boxing this is not it's not really that much better news but here's the deal we got in Bogdan. So this weekend we were supposed to have Alexander Usyk versus Tyrone Spong, but unfortunately, as seems to be the case after before a big matchroom card, their plans change again. So for those of you who aren't who didn't know, so Tyrone Spong, it was revealed on Monday that Tyrone Spong tested positive for a banned substance, and the the, the banned substance was I believe if I'm remembering correctly, just looking real quick, it was for clomiphene, who you know it's a at least that's what the A sample showed. So he tested positive for clomiphene, and he was taken out, you know, understandably taken out of the fight because there was no way for a ruling or at least a full investigation on this can be done in less than a week. It's it's impossible at least from what we have seen in cases like these in the past we have not seen stuff like this get resolved in a week it just doesn't happen so what happened was Tyrone Spong got taken out of the fight and the, the card remains intact as far as we know the card remains intact there's still two world title fights uh, you know uh, on the docket and Tyrone Spong was replaced by none other than Chaz Witherspoon, and I know what you're thinking, who the hell is Chaz Witherspoon? And I guess, and, and to that I say, that's a fantastic question, because not many people really know who Tyron Spong is. I mean, not Tyron Spong, Chaz Witherspoon, well, Chaz Witherspoon is. So, Witherspoon, just a real quick rundown, he's 38 years old, has been fighting all the way back since 2004, never really got into a position where he would challenge for a world title, never been really a good a top contender. He started his career undefeated from 2004 to, 2000, to like, early summer of 2008. He fought Chris Ariola and then... He, he lost by DQ and then really hasn't fought anyone of note outside of maybe Tony Thompson not that long ago. And Tony Thompson beat him. So there's really not a whole lot that you can say about Chaz Witherspoon. 38 and, uh, 38 and 3, that's his record. So, you know, it's a very good record, but he hasn't really faced anyone of note. I mean, you look at his last three opponents... Uh, you know, it, Santander Silgado, really you know, kind of nobody there. He's, you look at his box rec, he's ranked 146 in the world. And I, and I, and I don't really pay that much attention to box rec because, you know, they're, the way they do rank is a, pretty different to what a lot of people uh, use for ranking fighters. But it kind of gives you an idea of the quality of opposition that Chance Witherspoon has faced. Before that, he was facing... Two, he was facing guys who didn't win, who didn't even have a winning record at the time of the fight. This is the only, and he only fought twice since October 2016. So he's only fought twice in the last three years. That's that doesn't really give me a lot of hope as far as his chances of beating a guy who less than a year ago was the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. You know, I'm looking I'm looking at this and thought, boy, he is going to get slaughtered because I mean, you lost to you got stopped by Tony Thompson who at the time is was, you know, almost 40. 
He got dropped by Seth Mitchell, who really who hasn't done much in his career as well. Who, so you look at this, and, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, why, why there is no point of kind of watching this. But let's remember, Tyrone Spawn wasn't really a guy that was getting a whole lot of love from a lot of people as well. So let's be honest, this was not a fight for Usyk to, you know... To be, this is, wasn't a tough fight for Alexander Usyk to begin with. The purpose of this event was for Alexander Usyk to get his feet wet in the heavyweight division, and you know, with the top guys, and you know, guys like Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz, Deontay Wilder, that they're all preoccupied with their things, and Alexander Usyk. He's got time on his side. He doesn't necessarily he doesn't have to gun for the heavyweight title right now. He's already the mandatory challenger for the WBO title. So he's going to at some point in time, he's going to get his shot at a heavyweight title. It's just a matter of getting him acclimated into the heavyweight division, you know, getting his feet wet, building up his profile a little more just to make fights against those champions even bigger. Although, let's be honest, Alexander Usyk is already a big star, at least in Europe and in the UK. The guy, his record is, you know, speaks for itself. The names that he has faced, not just that he's beaten, but that he's beaten on his opponent's backyard. You look at, you know, Michael Hunter, beat him in his own backyard. Marco Huck, beat him in his backyard. Mairis Briedis. Beat him in his backyard. Muragasiev beat him in his backyard. Tony Bellew in his last fight last November beat him in his backyard. So this is a guy, Alexander Usyk, who I think has a very strong case to be the greatest cruiserweight of all time. And already today, I think in my opinion, he's already one of the best heavyweights in the world as far as skill set. I know it's kind of you know disingenuous to some. To say that he's one of the best heavyweights in the world when he hasn't really he hasn't fought as a heavyweight at all. So, but the way I look at Usyk and sometimes the way I look at guys when they make the move up and weight and I sort of rank them, I, I look at it as how do I view them and far as skill set wise faring against those you know against those fighters in the new weight class. And I'm looking at Alexander Usyk, and he is not a big guy. You you think you know six foot three, you know he's got to be a pretty big guy. But let's remember we are living in an era where the top heavyweights are all really big guys: Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, all really really tall, really really big guys. They're not necessarily you know 280 pounds big, but they are you know from from a size standpoint, they are pretty big. Their frames are massive. They're very strong punchers. You know, I'm not saying that Usyk's going to struggle as a heavyweight. I think Usyk is the guy that can play spoiler to the entire heavyweight division, obviously after Andy Ruiz when he beat Anthony Joshua back in June. But I think Alexander Usyk's a guy that when if you give him time, I think he will acclimate himself very nicely into the heavyweight division you know I, I don't think he's gonna have a real big fight until 2020 and he may get another fight after uh, before the year's over if Alexander Usyk defeats Chas Witherspoon fairly easily and, and I think he will I think Chas Witherspoon is, has does not have what is needed to beat a guy like Alexander Usyk I mean no disrespect, but, you know, Alexander Usyk, there is a reason why he is a minus 10,000 favorite for you to, uh, you know, for this fight. And I don't want to say Witherspoon has no chance, because obviously everyone, anyone's got a chance, but come on, there's no, there's no reason to think. It, it, you know that there's there is a scenario where you can realistically envision Chas Witherspoon beating Alexander Usyk. I did you know I just don't find it possible that that's gonna be the case. So I mean you look at this entire undercard for Usyk versus Witherspoon. It's not I'll you know I'll go ahead and say it's not a great 
card. There is a couple of fights that are very interesting, but overall, some of the other top fights are not as great as, you know, one would initially think. One fight that, you know, uh, that's really, really kind of a head-scratcher is Dimitri Bivol, the WBA light heavyweight champion, going up against Lenin Castillo, who, let's be honest, and Lenin Castillo hasn't really done much in, you know, in in his career thus far. He's won a couple of not, uh, regional titles at light heavyweight. He's fought some decent names. He's fought Marcus Brown before, and his late... His, Claim to fame in that fight was that he dropped Marcus Brown in the middle of that fight last year. But Marcus Brown just came back and, you know, he dominated that fight. Marcus Brown just outboxed and outclassed Lenin Castillo throughout the entire bout. Except for that sec of that fifth round. That may be the only round that he won. But he did drop them. So he is capable of, you know... Dropping guys, he's definitely got some pop in his in his right hand. But I'm just looking at this, and you know, Bevall, his run. He, I think, a lot of people agree. Uh, you know, a lot of people agree with me when I say the major Bevall is one of the best light heavyweights in the world. That kind of, that goes without saying. But I, but they're really, but the names that he's faced, it hasn't really been. You know, it hasn't really been all that inspiring. He, he beat Trent Broadhurst, then Sullivan Barrera, who I who I say is a nice light heavyweight. He's not great. He's not a great heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight, but he's a nice light heavyweight. Uh, then Isaac Chalemba in a you know rather uninspiring performance. John Pascal, and I and I think a lot of people will you know looked at that fight and thought John Pascal did. Much better than some people predicted he would. Joe Smith Jr. You know, it's it's not a murderous row of guys that Dimitri Bivol has faced. And listen, he's he's 28, so he's not necessarily in a rush to really, really get the big fights right away. He's still he's he's entering his physical prime, and he, I think he is a tremendous fighter. But let's be honest. There, when you look at the names that he's faced, it's not that great. It's not necessarily one that that a lot of people will will think to themselves and say this this is what a top champion should have on his resume. You know, I, I think Dimitri Bivol is gonna win. Is he gonna win comfortably? Um, you know, I don't think he's gonna be winning by knockouts. He hasn't really shown the pop. The power that he had in those fights against Sullivan Barrera and Trent Broadhurst and Cedric Agnew. He hasn't really shown that level of strength in his last few fights. But, you know, Lenin Castillo, he may, we, he may, get, he may surprise us and hurt Dimitri Bivol. But, let's, but aside from that, I really don't see Dimitri Bivol winning this fight. But Other than that, we got Jessica McCaskill versus Erika Farias for the unified WBC, WBA, junior welterweight titles. And, you know, those two have fought a year ago, almost to this day. It's, you know, 370 days as of this recording. Those two fought... In this very, in that very same venue at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, where they're going to be fighting again, and those two, they they're going to be fighting this time for two world titles instead of one. But McCaskill won. I didn't think, I didn't think it was that close of a fight where you would need a a rematch. But you look at that junior welterweight division; it's not that big it's not that deep and you got Christina Leonardato she's going to be fighting you know she's fighting Katie Taylor so she's not really so she's not available to fight you know Ana Yester Sanchez just just lost to Jessica McCaskill so that's no good there uh you got Victoria uh, Noel Buscos, uh, Bustos so I, I don't know what I don't, she hasn't fought since December so I don't know what the status of her is I don't know why that fight couldn't get made uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of solid names at 140, but they're either MIA or they're just not really 
or they're just busy with fights. So I think it'll be a nice fight. I don't think it's going to be anything too spectacular. I think McCaskill is a tremendous fighter at 140 pounds. I think she is arguably the best junior welterweight in the world. We'll see what happens when Christina Leonardato and Katie Taylor fight in a few weeks. But I, as of right now, if you ask me, I think McCaskill is the best 140-pound boxer in the world. Other fights on this undercard, Anthony Sims Jr., he's, you know, he's going to be fighting Morgan Fitch. Uh, another stay-busy fight for Anthony Sims Jr., he's going to keep getting more experience, going to be fighting really good, uh, you know, not great opposition, but decent opposition, and... You know, Anthony Sims Jr., he's a guy, another light heavy, uh, super middleweight, who's going to be fighting, you know, who who is refighting pretty well, but I think at this point he's still a prospect. I mean, he's only 24, and he keeps saying that he's going to, you know, he's going to be getting a title shot soon, or he, he you know, he's definitely going to be a, a contender. He's a contender right now. I, I don't see it. I don't think that, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that Anthony Sims Jr. can't be a contender right in the future, but I don't see Anthony Sims Jr., you know, right now beating a top super middleweight or a top light heavyweight right now. I think he's still got plenty of room to grow. There were some things I liked in that fight against Vaughn Alexander back in April, but ultimately I was kind of disappointed that he didn't stop him, especially when he got and when he cut Alexander, I think it was like third, fourth round of that fight, so uh, Sims, he's a nice prospect at this point, but I there's still lots to work with him, I think he's not going to sniff a title shot, you know, next year, I think, I'd, you know, he's probably going to get one at the earliest in 2021, but let's, you know, it'll be a nice fight, he's going to get highlighted by the zone a lot as this, you know, promising prospect to watch out for, so, and he's probably going to win this fight, you know, inside the distance, I don't, I think he's going to come in and start real fast and really show that he can be a great knockout artist and not really, yeah, I don't think he wants to go the distance like he did against Vaughn Alexander, I think for his stock and and for his profile, I think he needs a knockout win to really elevate himself into that contendership status. TJ Dahani announced not that long ago he's going to be fighting on this undercard. We haven't seen TJ Dahani since that excellent, excellent fight uh, against Danny Roman back in April, back in April. It was, and I recommend. You go out and watch this fight, because I thought that fight between T. Dahani and Daniel Roman was one of the best of the year up to that point. It's not exactly, you know, the best fight of 2019, as we've seen plenty of fights that I think are better. But I, but this is a, you know, well worth a watch. And T. Dahani, I think he's still a top 10 super bantamweight right now. I just don't know if he, you know, with the way the division has been shaping up, I don't know if he's going to be sniffing a title shot anytime soon. That isn't a rematch against Danny Roman, and Danny is Danny's injured, and he's got mandatories from both the IBF and the WBA, so he's not gonna be getting a, a rematch anytime soon. But the one fight that I'm one fight I'm very very interested in, and it involves one of the fighters that you're going to hear in just a second. Charles Conwell versus Patrick Day for the USBA Junior Middleweight Championship. So Conwell, for those of you who don't know, he's unbeaten 10-0. He's coming off of the win against Courtney Pennington on the undercard of Gennady Golovkin versus Steve Rolls back in June. I liked a lot what I saw in that fight. I, you know, kind of disappointed he didn't get the knockout, but he did look really, really well. He's on his way to being a potential contender at 154 pounds. He's, he fought in the Olympics back in 2016, and he is my special guest on the Fightful Boxing Podcast. And without further ado, here's my interview with Charles Conwell. And again, and I do, and I said this at the start of the show, but in, better for repeating, I did this interview before the the change in the main event. I believe I interviewed him last a couple of weeks ago. We spoke on about his this coming fight, how he you know 
what how he got into the Triple G versus Steve Rolls undercard, his future fighting on the Olympics, and and a whole bunch of other stuff. How he got into starting boxing, lots of great stuff in that interview. So without further ado, here is Charles Conwell. Back here on the Fightful Boxing Podcast is a very special guest, a undefeated junior middleweight prospect, Charles Conwell, the IBF USBA champion, who you may remember his fight against Courtney Pennington on the Triple G Steve Rolls undercard back in June. He's fighting on October 12th against Patrick Day on the undercard of the Alexander Usyk versus Tyrone Spung fight. Charles, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. So how is camp coming along for you? We're only you know less than three weeks away from the fight, at least from this recording. Uh, I noticed that you were sparring with the guys like Tony Harrison and Jerron Ennis, who I think has massive potential. Um, how, how has training camp been? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Go for you in this camp. Uh, like you said, we were sparring great, uh, great guys, a great, uh, a great contender, and a great, a great uh, world champ. So we were just going around getting the best work so we can be prepared, you know, the best we can be, and we just steady uh, going around working and learning on, th- on things that we do in this fight and just in general. You know, obviously when you're sparring, you don't go at it at 100%. You don't go at it at full speed. But when you go into the ring and you spar with a guy like Tony Harrison, who's a world champion, does it give you some confidence that, you know, you could potentially get to that point? Or at least you feel confident that your skills are, can at least one day get to that level of a Tony Harrison where, you, where he wins a world title? Oh yeah, of course you always, you know, you measure yourself against people that you're swan and whatnot, especially somebody like that statue who's a world champion, so you know, you always, you know, comparing comparing things that's as far as that can happen in a world fight or just how you do against a world title class type opponent, so you always keep that in the back of your head like, man, that this is gonna be a good fight and stuff like that. And things just of that nature I can hold my own, this is him I can hold my own against such 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 so like your, your last fight on the Triple G Steve Rolls undercard at MSG, that was really the first time a lot of people got a good look at you. And what, what was it like, you know, getting to compete at Madison Square Garden? I believe that was, what, your first time fighting as a pro at MSG? Yes. Uh, it was crazy. I, was, I, I actually liked it. Um, it was a big platform, you know, to showcase my skills. A lot of people there, a lot of fans. I do got this people got to know me as a person and as a fighter, so I really appreciate that just to be on the platform uh, and that was that big, so I like that. Was good. I, I remember, you know, looking back on your Twitter, I think it was like, what, early May, late April, and you tweeted at Gennady Golovkin to add you onto that show. What was, that, was that really how you got onto the card, just tweeting at Golovkin, or at least the Golovkin's Twitter account and the right people, and it's just one thing led to another, it got you uh, that opportunity to fight on that show? Uh, it, was, it was actually more than that, but uh, that actually, I felt like that. Just put it, out, put it out to the world and let the world know, like, man, we're hoping to find this car. We're hoping everything goes the way it goes. And then actually did. So we were already, already planning to be on it, but that extra push of just speaking it out to the world, I think it actually helped us actually in the club. You know, it's funny because, you know, 
we look at obviously as some people may think that you know social media doesn't have much of a much of a factor when it comes to making fights. But I mean, you, you know, you said yourself, you know, you put that tweet out there, kind of put it out into the world, and you know, you want to be on this card. And, you know, Andy Ruiz, you know, he got his opportunity against Anthony Joshua just by, you know, sending a DM to Eddie Hearn on Instagram. So, so you look at, you know, the role of social media and do you look at, at it and saying this could be another avenue for you to sort of expose yourself out to the world and, you know, showcase yourself to an audience that maybe at another time, maybe they wouldn't have much of a chance to see you. Oh yeah, definitely, of course, man. That's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay, stay more active on, on Instagram, and Twitter, and things like that, <clears throat> so people can get to know me, and get, get to see my face, and get to hear me, and get to hear my story, and things like that. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay more active on social media, especially while I'm in training camp, just to get the people used to me and hearing my voice and seeing my face. You're going up against a guy in Patrick Day who many think is, you know, is a big step up from any of your past opponents. I and mean, Patrick Day is a guy who's faced a lot of solid names, is coming off of a fight against Carlos Adamas, who, you know, is almost on the verge of a world title opportunity. You know, what's your assessment of Patrick Day? And what did you think of, you know, his last performance? Do you take much out of that in your, uh, in your preparations, or you kind of just look at some of his other performances? You don't even pay attention to film at all. Uh, I think he's a tough guy. I think he's a real tough fighter. He's durable. He lets his hand go. And this is going to be a fight that separates me from, um, you know, let's make my name bigger and pushing my name up the ranks and, and pushing me closer to where I want to be in, uh, in the ranks and things like that. So this is stuff we have you know, this will be your second fight of 2019, and you know, you started off in 2017, six fights, and kind of going out, you had three fights, now this is your second fight, is the goal next year to maybe be again maybe three four fights under your belt or sort of now look for guys at a patrick day level maybe even a little more and jumpstart a campaign for potentially getting a world title opportunity anytime soon yeah i definitely i definitely like to be more definitely more active next year i would definitely like to be more active and stay consistent throughout the year of the fights uh a lot of people don't know my hand was broken too, so that's why my fight slowed down too as well. My hand was broke for a, for a period of time. That slowed me down, but I would definitely love to get more active in the fight on uh, mainstream cards. We'll get more exposure in this fight. And just keep fighting, guys. Give me more experience to keep, like you said, it's my way towards that world title status. You know, 154-pound division is, you know, I think it's very loaded, not just at the top, but even, you know, just a couple levels down below when you got guys, as I mentioned, like uh, Carlos Adamas, who's, you know, as I mentioned, is on the verge of world title fights. You got guys like Tony Harrison, Jaime Munguia, Jerry Hurd, Edilandi Lara. I could go on and on and on about the guys in that uh, in that division that are extremely solid, including yourself, who's really starting to come, come up as a solid solid prospect where do you think you know when do you think that you're going to get maybe those kinds of little fights against maybe top 10 guys at 154 pounds do you look at just say maybe 2020 could be the the year or do you look at it maybe as a you know a wait and see approach and see how this next fight happens and you're just going to take it one day at a time I'm just going to say, I'm just going to keep taking the fights as they come, man. Just gaining more experience. I, you know, I would love those type of fights. Of course, I would love those type of fights. Give me culture up in the ranking and stuff like that. But I'm just taking the fights as they come. I'm not doing none of that. I'm just making my turn, taking the fights as they come. And uh, as people are bringing them, I'm not like the person who go on the internet and just say, oh, yeah, I want to fight him. I'm just the type of person who just says I can waste the time. But I know when, I, when, I, when it's my time, I want to make sure I'm want to be ready and stay ready. Like, I don't, I want you at that type of level. I ain't no going back. You know, he's fights anymore. It's all up here. It's all, it's all big fights, big names. So, uh, whenever it comes, I'll be ready. 
you know, obviously you were part of that, you know, 2016 Olympic team that was, you know, absolutely stacked. I mean, you know, you got Clarissa Shields, you got Nico Hernandez, Shakur Stevenson, yourself included. And some of those names are already either world champions like Clarissa or on the verge of fighting for a world title like Shakur Stevenson. When you look at, you know, those names and you look at yourself, do you kind of think to yourself, you know, I can be, I am just as good as any of those guys and, you know, I know there's going to be a time where I'm going to be at their level, not just, you know, fighting for a world title, but being at that level in terms of being a boxing star. Do you kind of look at, uh, you know, those names and kind of see, uh, compare careers that you guys competed at the Olympics? Of course. You know, seeing those guys uh, fighting some world titles and things like that, you know, for being a security champion and moving up and, up and down, and things like that, that definitely gives me motivation. It's like, when you just move these people, now they fight for world titles. Just no way, whatever was talking to them, and now they fight for what about they're doing their thing. So of course, you're like, man, give me about a year, or give me about six months, or give me about however much time to take, and I'll be right there with them, and we'll be all back at the top again, meeting again at the top. So that's definitely one of the things I look at, and I, I like to see that give me motivation, push me to go harder, and push me to take, you know what I'm saying, the, the steps to the bottom of the world champion. Just kind of curious, where did your love of boxing start? You know, how did you know, what, what led to you deciding? You know, I want to lace up those um, the gloves and be a fighter professionally. into your fight against Patrick Day. Do you have a prediction for this fight? Are you going to come and try to end things uh, before we hear the final bell? Or are you just going to, you know, think just think the win no matter in what way, shape, or form you get that W? I'm looking to win, though, and just get a dominant, strong win to showcase my skills. So in any shape or form, you know, I know I have what I take to get a, to get a knockout, but if I don't, I just want to just dominate the whole fight and just do better than what I would all the other prospects did for them and all the other guys that trying to you know, outdo them and show that I'm on the level just as great as those guys. Last question. I don't know if you're much of a football guy, but you are from Cleveland, and it's I actually moved into Cleveland two months ago myself. So I wanted to ask, you know, what do you think of uh, of the Browns' start this season? Bit of a rough start after three games. I really don't, I like, like you said, I really don't watch really much football, but, um, you know, I'm always going for the home team. I'm always, I got some, got some great new players like Odell Beckham and whatnot, so I really hope we'll throw stars, boost our, uh, our, uh, Cleveland stock and just make it go to the playoffs and win the uh, Super Bowl, so I'm all for that. Thanks, uh, Charles, and uh, thanks so much for taking time to talk to me. Charles Conwell taking on Patrick Day, October 12th on The Zone in Chicago at the Wintrust Arena on the undercard of Alexander Usyk versus Tyrone Spong on The Zone. Charles, thanks so much for coming on here. Best of luck in your career. Best of luck against Patrick Day. Thank you. I appreciate everything. And that was my interview with Charles Conwell, the USBA junior middleweight champion. Great stuff from Charles Conwell. I really like Charles. I think he's got a bright future uh, at junior middleweight. He's still got some, grow some growing to do. He's only 21. 
So he's got plenty of growing to do, got a great amateur pedigree. He's definitely a guy to watch out for in the future. If he beats a guy like Patrick Day, who is coming off of a fight against Carlos Adamas, who is really one of the best junior middleweight contenders in the world right now, I think... I think Charles Conwell's got uh, a potential title contender. I think he is someone that can potentially fight for a world title someday. That day is not there, is not today, nor tomorrow, nor anytime next year, maybe not even 2021. But I do think Charles Conwell is someone that you watch, that you can watch out for. Now, you want my predictions on this card. I'll give you a quick rundown. There really isn't, you're going to be seeing a lot of, you know, if you want my predictions, you're not going to get anything, you know, too surprising on this card because, let's be honest, a lot of these fights are very one-sided on paper. And, you know, you really, the, the, the meat of this card is focused on making your the top DA side look really, really good against overmatched opponents. Dimitri Bival, he's going to beat Lennon Castillo, no problem. Alexander Uzi is going to take care of business against Chas Witherspoon without any problems. So here's quick predictions on this card. Dimitri Bival against Lennon Castillo. Bival is going to win this one. I think it's going to go to a decision, if not a late stoppage, but... I think if you ask me, Bival needs a stoppage against Lennon Castillo. He's gone three straight fights without get without uh, a stoppage or a knockout. So if he really wants to remain alive in the conversation of best light heavyweight in the world, I think he needs to fight Lennon Castillo. I need to. He, I think he needs to be very aggressive. He needs to stop him. So I think you know what I'm gonna say. Maybe not a decision. I think Cast uh, I think Bival is gonna stop him in the middle rounds of this fight. Jessica McCaskill against Erika Farias for the unified WBC, WBA Junior Welterweight Championships. I think Jessica McCaskill is going to win this fight again. I think she's going to have an easier time this time around. I think it'll go to the decisions. McCaskill's not necessarily a fighter that will knock people out. He she hasn't had a stoppage win or at least a win inside the distance since 2017. So it's been more than two years since she's had that. But I think McCaskill's focused just on getting the win and I think she's going to thoroughly outbox Erika Faria. So not much of an issue there. I think Jessica McCaskill retains her world titles by decision. Tia Dahani against Jesus Martinez. Martinez is a guy who, you know, he's been around the block a long long time but my goodness he is not he's been getting he's been getting dropped left and right for his, his career especially in recent years he got stopped by Asad Hafanisian got stopped by Iron Socarras he's lost what six of his last eight fights not much there TJ Dahini bounced back with an early stoppage win let's see what else Anthony Sims Jr. against Morgan Fitch. Fitch has really not looked that good as of late. Fitch uh, coming off losses against Gerald Sherrill, Evgen Kitrov, Yamaguchi Fal Falsao. You know, not much and not much there. He's come, He did win his last fight, but it was a guy who came into that fight with a 500 record. Anthony Sims Jr. wins this fight with a maybe third, fourth round stoppage. Otto Jones III, the promising prospect from Toledo, Ohio, who, if you all remember, had that really tough pro debut against Georgie Galashvili. You know, I think he's looked good. I like Otto Jones III. He's not a guy that will knock the socks off of anyone. He's being matched up pretty well starting off, uh, starting out his pro career, and I really don't think that it's going to change I think he's. I think this fight's gonna go into a decision. Otto Jones III has not really shown me that you know that knockout power, that killer knockout streak. But he's only 19. You know he doesn't have to worry about that right now. He's got plenty of years. He's not done growing. He's not. So he's going to keep developing. He's. Got, you're. You're going to see that power develop as his career progresses. 
I say Otto Jones III wins this one by decision. And lastly, Charles Conwell against Patrick Day. I like this fight a lot. I think this is a great step-up fight for Charles Conwell. Patrick Day is coming off of the loss to Carlos Adamas. And, you know, Adamas thoroughly beat, you know, Patrick Day. I thought this fight, I think this fight is a perfect crossroads fight for Patrick Day. He's... You know, he's a guy that's looking to bounce back, but he's going up against a promising prospect such as Charles Conwell. I think Conwell want, would like to stop Patrick Day. I just don't think that's going to be the the case. If if Patrick Day couldn't get stopped by someone as viciously strong as Carlos Adamas, I just don't see Charles Conwell doing the same. I think this fight is going to go into a decision. I think it's going to be close, but I think Charles Conwell comes out on top and retains his USBA junior middleweight title. And I really like this fight. I think this fight might end up being the best of the bunch. And I'm so grateful for Charles Conwell to come onto the show and talk, and, and talk about the fight and uh, amongst a number of different topics. Loud... Now we're kind of moving on into this Canelo Alvarez conference call. And I spoke with Canelo Alvarez. You'll hear uh, about you'll hear from that in Spanish actually uh, later on as we get closer to his fight against Sergey Kovalov. There is not much, you know, I'll talk more about that fight as we approach November 2nd, but one really interesting tidbit about this conference call was that he was asked about and funny, it was a guy. I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head his publication. Um, I don't want to say it because I don't want to misquote someone. But basically, it's funny. It started off by asking, you know, Demi you know, Demetrius Andre. He is, you know, he's certainly a challenge. He's certainly a threat to you. Uh, what do you mean? And I'm paraphrasing it, but what do you say about a potential fight against him? And Canelo Alvarez just you know, flat out said, "What, uh, Demetrius Andre?" <laughs> No, he's not a challenge. He's a boring fighter. He hasn't faced anyone of, of no. Why would I focus? Why would I focus on him? He's not a challenge. You know, he's not. He's not someone. He's not someone on my radar right now. And I'm sure Demetrius Andre is gonna, you know, take exception to that. But and, and I'm and I say this as someone who is a fan of Demetrius Andre. Let me preface this, uh, let me preface this by saying Demetrius Andre is a much better fighter than what a lot of people give him credit for. But Canelo is right. <laughs> Canelo is right on a lot of the different things he said. Look, this is a very very delicate time in the middleweight division. You got Gennady Golovkin who looked like, didn't look like a shell of his former self, but he did not look like the Gennady Golovkin of old when he fought Sergei Derevyanchenko. He's not. He's past his prime, and it's obvious that if Golovkin-Canelo fought one more time, I would feel very comfortable in saying Canelo wins this one decisively. But, you know, you got also Jamal Charlo, the WBC champion, who is in an island can, you know, because there's no, because the vast majority of, of the middleweights are fighting on the zone, except for Jamal Charlo. But let's be honest. Let's look at what, let's break down what Canelo Alvarez said. He's not a challenge to me. You know, that that's debatable. I think, as I said, I think Demetrius Andrade is a much better middleweight than a lot of people give him credit for. But I'm not sure if I, you know, if I think Demetrius Andrade is going to, give Canelo Alvarez as much trouble as a Golovkin did in the last couple of years. I maybe could see that fight, you know, going closer to what we saw between Canelo and Danny Jacobs back in May. I think Canelo is that much better than everyone else right now in boxing, in the middleweight division at the very least. And, you know, if Danny Jacobs, one of the five, maybe three best middleweights entering this year, couldn't even lay lay a hand on Canelo Alvarez. I just don't see D Demetrius Andre doing um, doing just that in the same way that Golovkin was able to do in their first two fights. Now, the whole question about him, about Andre not being an exciting fighter, I get it. You know, you, and I've said this multiple times. Andre, when you look at his run at middleweight, it's not that good. 
let's let's be honest. It is it is the when you look at the I I, I look at I mentioned you know Dimitri Bivol's run as light heavyweight champion and saying you know it's not really a murderous row of guys that he's faced. I mean you could definitely say that about Dimitri's Andre's opposition in the last few fights. I mean look, you look at Andre's run at middleweight. It starts off with a win against Walter Kautondokwa last October for the WBO middleweight champion. That's not a that is not that's not a good win. That's not that's not a that's not like something you you're proud of saying that on you know on your state uh, on your resume that's one of your defining victories. But I will give Andre a pass on this one because he was supposed to face Billy Joe Saunders, but then Saunders failed the drug test, and so that fight wasn't able to be made, and you know he had to scrap. And because of for the vacant title, WBO you know order it was a fight against the top you know one of the best available top ranked contenders from the from the WBO rankings, and that became Walter Kaptundokwa. Then you fast forward into last uh, last January, and it, it was a and he went up against Arthur Akvath, who I think most people remember from when he got you know dominated by Billy Joe Saunders back in 2016, but most people give him credit for going the distance against a Billy Joe Saunders that even by his own admission was a really really poor showing from him, so. You know, I, I didn't think there was any reason to think that he deserved another rematch. I mean, the names that he's faced ever since he lost to Billy Joe Saunders, Josue Obando, Giancarlos Prada, and Gonzalo Gaston Coria. That's not that those that's not fighters you beat and you think and you say to yourself, I'm definitely a world a world title contender. But it is what it is. Then it go then it went up against Masiaj Zuleski in June, which I mean you know, Seleski is not a guy that you immediately think to yourself, that's an exciting name. I mean, look, he had an okay showing against Danny Jacobs in 2018. It, you know, his last fight before the Andre fight was against Gabriel Sato, which I think a lot of people remember that for the crazy last couple of rounds it was. And and I say crazy last couple of rounds for Gabriel Sato because Masir Seleki was dominating that fight, and then all of a sudden, then came Gabriel Sato and just just shocks everyone and nearly stops Gabriel Sato all of a sudden in the ninth round. I believe it was the ninth round, eighth, ninth round, somewhere around there. It was late in the fight, but I do remember that. And that was essentially like an unofficial title limiter because Eddie Hearn said the winner was going to face Andre Dex, and, you know... Then came Seleski, fought Demetrius Andre, and Demetrius Andre steamrolled Seleski in, you know, in what has been a, it was a average to below average fight in terms of quality. So you look at those three fighters, those three fights during Andre's run at middleweight. Yeah, it, it is boring. Like, you can honestly tell, you can honestly say, you look at that, those three fights and say, yeah, Andre's a boring fighter. You know, I don't know what else to say, and again, I say this as someone who really likes Andre a lot more than most people um, do on social media, but even that, even I have to admit, he hasn't really fought anyone of, no, he hasn't really fought a top 10 guy, he hasn't fought, he hasn't been in a crazy, exciting fight, he's dominated all three of his middleweight title fights, but against who? Seleski, Akavov, Gautondokwa? That's not going to attract Canelo Alvarez's attention. You know, not to the point where he's going to waste one of his dates, uh, and even if it is a unification fight. Maybe he'll fight Demetrius Andre, but that's not really what he's aiming for right now. You know, it's abundantly clear that Canelo Alvarez really doesn't care about becoming the undisputed middleweight champion. Uh, it's beca it became abundantly clear when he was n named the WBC franchise champion, and, and it was really funny um, when when the conference call started and Oscar Del Hoya uh, called Canelo Alvarez the franchise champion. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, I almost completely forgot about that. I almost forgot about the the whole franchise title situation. But you know, Alvarez just wants to you know get big fights, and make history. 
And that's what exactly what this fight against Sergey Kovalev is going to be. It's a fight. It's a big fight for him. It's a big challenge. It's something that we haven't really seen guys do attempt to do and succeed, which is go up to weight classes and win a world title. Uh, funny enough, you know, Colonel Alvarez was on the other side of that when Amir Khan went from welterweight to middleweight, and Colonel Alvarez just dominated him. So, and we've seen guys move up to weight classes and fail in winning a world title, but I think Canelo Alvarez is different. I think Canelo Alvarez is going to be a much better fighter, uh, going to be a very, very good fighter at light heavyweight. I think he's, he saw the blueprint in beating Sergey Kovalev in the fight against Anthony Yard, and I think Canelo Alvarez is going to win this fight. I don't know if he's going to stop him. But he's, I think he's going to win. I, that much is clear to me. I think Canelo Alvarez is going to win this fight. But we'll discuss that fight much later down the line, much later in the month, you know, before you know, before we get in, uh, before November the 2nd. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Thank you so much to Charles Conwell, my guest for this episode, to talk to me. Best of luck to him on his fight on October the 12th against Patrick Day for the USBA Junior Middleweight title. If you're listening on YouTube, subscribe to our Fightful MMA and YouTube, Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. We almost forgot, forgot the boxing part of it. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe to our iTunes uh, to our iTunes profile, whatever you want to call it. I don't really know all too much about the iTunes thing, but uh, if you're on iTunes, uh, feel free to leave us your feedback. That really helps us a lot. So, But without further ado, this has been the Fightful Boxing Podcast. I'm Carlos Toro, signing out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.